0: Welcome back to the Bymans Archive series. I'm John Crocker, Managing Partners at Bymans, and today I'm joined by Tamsin Allen, Head of our Media and Information Law team. Welcome, Tamsin, and thank you for joining us. You're well known for your work on the group of phone hacking cases. What can you tell us about those cases?
1: Before 2011, the News of the World had been publishing horrendously invasive and intrusive stories about not only celebrities but all sorts of people's sex lives and all sorts of gossip. A number of those people had settled very large privacy claims and at that stage privacy claims were in their infancy and it was very unusual for so much money to be paid out without them going to court. That pricked the journalistic interest of Nick Davis at The Guardian who started researching and realised that the police were sitting on a huge trove of evidence which they'd seized from someone who was working with the journalists. The police had not pursued the investigation and the evidence was apparently sitting at Scotland Yard in bin bags. So a number of us, a number of lawyers from different firms started probing further and I started chatting about what we might do to Hugh Tomlinson at Matrix. And I remember it was the Times drinks party where we came up with our plan, uh, which was quite fitting because they were paying for the drinks that fueled our conversation that led to the case. And our plan was to judicially review the police for their decision not to inform victims that they might have been targeted for phone hacking. We likened it to a situation where the police know that A burglar has burgled a street and has kept information or has kept jewels from every single person on the street, and yet the police don't tell them and don't tell them that their doors are still open. This was intended to crack open the nut of phone hacking, which had been very closed, and just these secretive individual cases which had been settled without any disclosure or anyone else really knowing what was going on, on condition of confidentiality. And it worked to do that. The police settled it. There was a judgment. And as a result of that, the police started proactively notifying people that their name and information had been found in Greg Mulcair's notebooks so that they may well have been targeted for phone hacking. And we didn't at that stage know that they'd definitely been phone hacked or what, in fact, the information we had meant. But we were fairly sure that the whole thing would start unravelling as it did Hugh and I set up a claimant group with other media lawyers, with other clients who might have been targeted or who'd been informed that they were targeted. Now, this was unusual because a lot of these lawyers were working often on the opposite sides to each other and were professional rivals, or even involved on the opposite sides in current litigation. So it was a difficult proposal. It wasn't a class action. It just required the lawyers to pool resources and work together. We had to create a fun money sharing agreement, always tricky, but we set this up and it meant that we were able to ask News International, as it then was, to give us information which wasn't relevant to any single claimant, but relevant to all of them. And that became known as generic disclosure. And it was that which was, in fact, in the end, one of the most interesting parts of the entire story, because we learnt how widespread phone hacking was, how it was more or less the only news gathering technique that the News of the World ever used, and how much devastating information they had about people. Of course, the next stage of that is well-known. News of the World folded as soon as the Millie Dowler story came out. I remember being rung by Mark Lewis, who told me who was another of the lawyers in the phone hacking group, to tell me about this at the time. And I knew the moment he told me that was it. Murdoch then had to appear before a select committee, where he was pied in the face by a clown. And I thought he was going to be murdered. So somebody leapt at him. He was sitting right in front of me. And the next thing that happened was the Leveson Inquiry was set up. And then, with a proper judicial inquiry, the whole dirty, scam-filled business model of the tabloids was unpicked. Now, the sad thing, of course, is that the Tories refused to um, allow part two of the inquiry to go ahead, which would have dealt with the detail, and in particular dealt with the way the police handled police relationships with newspapers. And that is still sitting there waiting to happen, and probably never will now. But it was a fascinating case legally. It was fascinating politically and in what it revealed about our press and the attempts to tame the press and make it behave responsibly. And it was very interesting in terms of a new way to work with other lawyers across different firms in a cooperative group against a common enemy.
0: What impact do you think the cases had? How did it affect the community and society more widely?
1: Well, as I say, it led to the Leveson Inquiry and to the death of the news of the world, the timely death of the news of the world, I might say. But there are other impacts, certainly on privacy law, as a result of what happened. In practical terms, phone hacking is no longer an investigative technique, as far as I know, and people would be much more wary now of using similar techniques, one hopes, or certainly newspapers would be, although we know foreign governments use similar techniques has just been in the, in the press recently. The police were very heavily criticised by Leveson in his report for what were called ride-alongs, inviting reporters to arrests or raids. They were also criticised for receiving backhanders and, facts fact, there were prosecutions from journalists for stories. So that relationship between the police and the press was disrupted or severed, and As a result of that and recommendations made by Leveson, implemented by the College of Policing, the police no longer routinely identify people who are arrested. And often, you know, somebody could be arrested and charges are then dropped very quickly afterwards. It turns out they got the wrong person or there was no evidence. If that arrest is reported, it's there forever and everyone thinks no smoke without fire. Obviously, for a charge, there's a higher threshold and open justice system requires identification in most cases of somebody who's charged but the default position now and we've just had a case which we won after a trial last year is that people who are identified by the press after having been arrested are entitled to an expectation of privacy and can win substantial damages from newspapers if they're identified that can be tracked directly to the phone hacking and leveson inquiry
0: thank you tansy Join us next time for another episode of the Feynman's Archive.